This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when the beaks hit your eye, it's gonna make you cry. They're the Stigillium birds. <laughs> the Stimphalian birds? Stimphalian birds. <laughs> there we go. good thank you for tuning in to another episode of the newest olympian my name is mike schuber i'm the titular newest olympian i am a 30 year old man who never read the percy jackson books as a kid but i am writing that wrong by reading them as an adult on a quest to determine if this is a book series that we have all been collectively sleeping on but i'm not on this quest alone i am joined by a repeat guest but this time in person here in the studio with me it's Stephen parra one of my best buds Stephen, how's it going it's great dude this place is so cool <laughs> <laughs> It is very cool. I am very fortunate that I get to record out of here quite a bit, and I'm glad that you get to experience it now in its true intended purposes for recording a podcast. Yeah, this is awesome. I did get to pop in here from time to time to study, which was kind of cool, but now it's awesome to be on this side of the recording booth. Yeah, we are here in the booth. We are here in the soundproofing. We are here to record, and we are here to continue discussing Chapter 6 because we left off at a point, which was a good stopping point, but I want to get right back into it because we've got a chariot race on our hands, and I say we just get right to it unless there's anything you wanted to discuss beforehand. Yeah, anything I say is my opinion and mine alone. Yay, there you go. Woo, yay. <laughs> Besides that, let's get to some charity racing. <laughs> let's do it. So where we last left our heroes, Annabeth was talking trash to Percy after he was trying to tell her about the Grover Dream situation. And she said, yeah, we can talk later after I kick your butt at chariot racing. So Percy's walking back to his chariot and Percy notices even more pigeons than before. And as we know from this chapter title, there's going to be some sort of pigeon related incident. And I was very nervous while reading this. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as I guess your Long Island representative at this moment, because no one else is, mm -hmm. I would say I feel like pigeons congregating in any trees in any magnitude is pretty unusual. Right. I've seen my fair share of pigeons in the city, but they do seem to be not in trees often. It's usually on the ground. I don't yeah, know if that's eating a French real fries, thing. pizza. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I usually see them even in parks and stuff. They're usually on the ground. I mean, every yeah. now and then they'll hop up on a tree or something. There's a park near Kelly and I's place that's very pretty and nice. And in the spring, they have lots of flowers and tulips and all that kind of stuff. And there's this bird bath. And I do remember one time these tiny little birds. I don't know birds well enough to know what type they were. But these small little birds were around the fountain. And then all of a sudden, big old pigeon coo floop <laughs> floops in on the tiny little bird bath water <laughs> fountain. And they got all spooked. And then the pigeon was just, you know, I'm here now. I'm I want to drink water from this the bird bath. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So Percy is also scared because no one else is scared, which is always very alarming. He is the only person noticing the pigeons of doom. Percy then has a telepathic argument with the horses of the chariot. They do not trust Tyson and they think that Tyson wants to eat them. And he talks them down by first trying to reassure them that it's going to be okay. And when that doesn't work, he resorts to offering them sugar cubes and apples, which feels like horses listening would be very upset that they could be bought out for such little. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should bring some on to your other podcast, you That's know, true. Uh, discuss it there. Yes, Horse, the podcast that is definitely about horses yes. and not about basketball. Exactly. Yeah, I wonder if any horse girls out there listening, not girls that are fans of the podcast horse, but like the meme horse girls are read this and we're like, oh, come on, sugar cubes and apples. But 
Anyway. You know, I dated a horse girl in high school. Seriously? Yeah. Like a true horse girl. Yes, a true horse girl. Actually, that's the girl that introduced me to Percy Jackson. Wow. Believe it or not. Okay. All I can say is sugar cubes are very effective to get horses to do what you want. Okay. Flip side is horses will mostly just kind of do what they want. But oh. sugar works. Okay. It's pretty good. Are apples also a big thing? Because I, I don't know. I always thought it was carrots in my brain, but maybe I'm... Um, I've seen carrots be effective. I've seen apples be effective. I think they just like food. Yeah. You yeah, know? I can sympathize with that. Yeah. I feel like I'm equally motivated. <laughs> <laughs> so narrator Percy then describes a chariot for any kid reading that doesn't know what a chariot is, which I think is very nice. And he ends this description by saying that riding one is a better rush even than skateboarding, which is super sick. So now at this point, though, because he referenced skateboarding, I could only imagine that when the chariot race begins, that Goldfinger's song Superman from the soundtrack of Tony Hawk's First Skater 1 would play with the, you know, get up, get up, get up, get up! Like, I just, the whole time I was reading this, that was just playing in the background of my head. So you think there's like someone at the stand just be like, do a kickflip! Percy hands Tyson a 10-foot pole, which is to be used only to push chariots away. It is not meant to hit people or horses. That is foul play. Tyson is very hyped, screaming, we will win. And then narrator Percy, right after this, says, we are so going to lose. (laughs) But Percy really wants to win because he wants to prove that Tyson is not a bad guy and that he's not ashamed to be with him in public and that he isn't bothered by the comments of other campers. And I would hope that this is Percy using this as the chance to start to put his good foot forward because this is certainly not what he has done leading up to this moment. So I hope by saying this, Percy isn't trying to act like he's been good to Tyson the whole time because he he hasn't. He's been yeah. understandably a 13-year-old kid that is concerned with being liked and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'm hoping that this is Percy saying, no, now from here on, I'm going to be better to Tyson and I want to win to kind of kickstart that approach. Yeah, you know, I think as you said, he's dealing with a lot of emotions. But at the end of the day, you know, Tyson's done nothing but be the best person that can mm-hmm. be. And uh, so sweet. He's such a sweet angel. I want yeah. everything good for him. You know, and I think like you're saying, I think in many ways Percy is still selfishly motivated in this moment too but I think pieces of it are still about Tyson now which I think is great yeah this seems like him starting to change his approach to Tyson which is nice to see so the race begins as does Goldfinger Superman and immediately (laughs) right off the jump the Apollo cart is flipped by the Hermes cart but the horses keep on running and then they turn around and then wreck the Hermes cart so the race has just begun two chariots already out of commission and I feel like I just imagine that would be my exact experience in a chariot race I'm just (laughs) I'm eating it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't have confidence in myself to do a chariot race of sorts. I've I've never really done a lot of racing type things, and I'm mostly a risk-averse person, so I don't imagine that I would do well in a chariot race, even when I do go-kart racing stuff. The only real racing I've ever done, I don't go super ridiculous with it. And as you've seen with me, anytime we play a racing video game, I crash very quickly. (laughs) Yes, we did play one earlier today before recording, and you tried your best. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's a good <laughs> you tried, Star tried. in Comic Sans. <laughs> Narrator Percy then says, quote, two chariots down in the first 20 feet. I loved this sport, which, <laughs> gotta love it. Oh, Annabeth yeah. is off to a huge lead, though. And as she turns around the first post, her javelin man, and I am immediately intrigued, who is javelin man? Is Percy going to get jealous of this person? I was very, very much interested in who this mystery guy was. We don't end up learning anything about it, but... I especially like him because he turns, he waves, and he shouts, see ya, which makes me feel incredibly vindicated for someone who's turned their tagline of their podcast into per see ya later. (laughs) And it also makes me feel vindicated. First, one person left an Instagram comment when I announced this saying, they don't say see ya in the book, so why did you pick this? Well, screw you, person, because clearly (laughs) they do. And now this also makes me feel more vindicated for all of the geniuses out there who didn't like that the patron exclusive pins and stickers say per C P E R hyphen S E E year later. These people are wondering why isn't it per C S E A? And I will tell you because that's too many things. That's <laughs> messy. That's too much. Sia is something. Percy is something. Therefore, Persia. Adding the C thing, yes, you're very clever. Homonyms exist. You've done it. But that's three different things that's way too messy, and visually it looks gross, so 
you're all incorrect. I've made the right choice. And for everyone who said missed opportunity, it was not a missed opportunity. I saw the opportunity and I actively chose not to do it. Anyway, stop telling me how to do my job. So Beckendorf's <laughs> chariot approaches. <laughs> Beckendorf's chariot approaches and he apologizes to Percy before shooting three sets of ball and chains at their wheels. I already liked Beckendorf. I really like him now. Beckendorf is the best. I really hope he sticks around. Are you saying that he's Beskendorf? Yes. <laughs> Fine. Let's do it. Yes. Beckendorf best is Beckendorf. <laughs> I really like him. I really hope that it's not just a brief mention. I would love to see him come back into play because that's so funny to still want to win the race, but to apologize before doing a thing that could completely wreck Percy's chariot. I love it. And then does something completely awesome. Just mm-hmm. the Hephaestus cabin. I'm obsessed with them. They're just so cool. They're like, yeah. I can just make anything, you mm-hmm. know, I, that is not a talent I have. Same. But it's like, I appreciate that craft so much. And it's like, I feel like if I was at Camp Half-Blood, those are the, the, the folks I'd want to be hanging out with. Exactly, exactly. I wouldn't be from their cabin, but mm-hmm. I'd want to be their friend. That's exactly where I'm at. I'm not very crafty. I'm not very handy. Kelly handles all of our fix them up type things. She does all the hammering and the screwing and the installing of shelves and stuff. I obviously get the tall things and the heavy things, but I'm not very crafty at all. So I'm in the same boat as you. I would love to be friends with these folks. I would be nowhere near this cabin. <laughs> So these get shot at their chariot, but Tyson is able to swat them away. That's really awesome for Tyson to be holding his own. Mm-hmm. But we don't have much to be happy about for very long here because the pigeons leave the trees and they form a tornado of pigeons on the track, which is scary. You don't yeah. want to see a regular tornado, but a tornado of angry birds. Not those angry birds, but different angry birds. I would hate that too, though. Mm-hmm. Like. Too many. Right. No, just (laughs) scary, scary, scary stuff. So Percy and Tyson are just about 10 feet away from Annabeth and her javelin man begins to take aim. And just as he's about to throw, they all hear screaming because the birds are attacking other riders behind them as well as spectators. So the Hephaestus cabin chariot crashes. The Ares cabin chariot is okay because their skeleton horses that I still need to learn more about are just completely unbothered by of the pecking, but the spectators are getting absolutely wrecked. Is this not just a bony pony crossover? This is what I talked about in the last episode. Oh, man, I didn't even know. Yeah, Festrals have found their way into the mix. I'm guessing it's some sort of mythology that J.K. Rowling ripped off and just added (laughs) wings to and then decided, this is mine. I've come up with this, but I would love to learn more. Annabeth screams and says that these are Stymphalian birds, which, of course, I need to talk about with Dr. Moya in the in-between episodes. So Annabeth and Percy completely abandon the race and turn their chariots to face the crowd and go help. And at this point, I wrote in my notes, Clarice is going to win and then help, isn't she? And uh, that's exactly what happens. So Percy starts slashing at all the birds with a riptide, but there's just way too many of them. He asks Annabeth, how do we get rid of these things? And she says that Hercules used noise, big brass bells. And then she realizes that Chiron has some sort of collection. And I don't know if I just forgot this. We'll very soon discuss what this collection is. Was this mm-hmm. ever mentioned in previous stuff that he has this collection of old music and a boombox? Definitely not the boombox has come okay. up before. I think that's a new addition, but man, you know, and we just did episodes on the Lightning Thief, buddy, right. but uh, I think he describes Chiron's apartment a little bit in the first book. Okay. Twitter, feel free to correct me at, at shub 17 No, 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 please, no, no, no. <laughs> at Brandon Grugel is oh, my Twitter handle. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. At Brandon Grugel. <laughs> But I'm not sure, but I know for sure, like him having bad taste in music, I think this is like a, a new wrinkle, a, a I new think, development. I'd like to think, you know, we can learn things about Chiron here too. And sure. honestly, if it was there before, it wasn't as emphasized and now it matters. So. Right. Because at first when she said his collection, I was thinking he had the collection of old swords and stuff that he would bring into class. So I oh. at first was thinking, does Chiron have a collection of big brass bells that they're going to get? (laughs) But then eventually we learn that it's music. So Clarice, as I predicted when reading this, finishes the race and only then notices that there is a bird problem. So at least it wasn't a malicious winning. It was more of just being oblivious and tunnel vision and set on winning. So that's okay. But Mm -hmm. she first thinks that Annabeth and Percy are running away from the problem when they are heading towards Chiron's place to get his collection of bad music. So Annabeth and Percy get in, they snatch his boombox and his CDs, and then they go back. And then they return, and Tantalus is half-heartedly trying to calm everyone down, (laughs) not working well at all, and they play Chiron's favorite music, which... 
Percy thinks is going to be a great fit because it's horrible sounding music, and it is the all-time greatest hits of Dean Martin. And as someone that is 0% Italian but grew up in the most Italian part of New Jersey, I am incredibly offended. <laughs> and as someone who is also not Italian, uh, <laughs> I am also incredibly offended. Like, what the heck? As someone that did acapella in college and True. sings and you know things yes. about music, Dean Martin is very pleasant. Yes, <laughs> Dean Martin is very pleasant. Dean Martin is good. But we sat there and we thought about this. Like, mm-hmm. what, what's, what could the song have been? Mm-hmm. And I think we both arrived at it when you just started playing a collection of his songs. It's got to be That's Amore, because the way Percy describes it is, quote, suddenly the air was filled with violins and a bunch of guys moaning in Italian, which is an incredibly funny way to describe <laughs> Dean Martin. Is. But the beginning of That's Amore is a group of Italian men yeah. singing. So I feel like that's got to be the reference that they're going for. Yeah, it has to be, because it's like, I know for me, it's just, I'm like, he sings in English as far as I, for the most part, you know? And it's just like, mm-hmm. depends on the song for but sure. You're right. But it's, you know, of course, we get all the uh, Italian moaning, yeah. essentially. <laughs> that it's just, when the beaks hit your eye, it's gonna make you cry. They're the Stigillian birds. <laughs> the Stymphalian birds? Stymphalian birds. <laughs> there we go. So I don't know exactly what Chiron's particular taste in music is. I don't know if it's just old things. I don't know if it's Dean Martin things. I don't know if Rick has a particular beef with Dean Martin. This, of course, will just go to the long list of questions that I will have Rick Riordan slash Rick Reardon. I need to learn his pronunciation. I'll do it before we record the next episode. Uh, <laughs> questions if I have Rick on the pot. So the pigeons get distracted by the music and they start flying in circles, which makes them easier targets for the Apollo archers. Annabeth calls on them to fire. They do, and they destroy them all. Narrator Percy then says that most of these archers can notch up to five to six arrows at once, which seems ridiculous. Even in Horizon Zero Dawn, the highest (laughs) ability you can do is three at once. So to do five or six, impressive. Michael, are are you familiar with this um, game from Supergiant? It's called Hades. I am. They have a Chiron bow and you shoot a lot of arrows at once. That is true. But I mean, they're one after the other, kind of. Yeah, kind of. It's not just a straight like shotgun of in a bunch of. That's true. But you can get hammer upgrades where, like, you'll mm-hmm. shoot a scatter shot and you stuff. You do, you but... do. Yeah, but yes, that video game Hades, they do have this I concept. I think you should check it out. It's it sounds good. like a really yeah, good yeah. game, and it feels like Supergiant should finally sponsor me because I talk about it so much. Yeah. The <laughs> aftermath is not pretty. People are absolutely wrecked. Aphrodite kids are distraught that their hair has been ruined and that their clothes have been pooped on, and I have never related to the Aphrodite cabin harder. I take my hair and my clothes very seriously, and if my clothes got pooped on and my hair got messed up, I would also be very sad. Oh, yeah, and I got something to add to that, Michael. Mm-hmm. When I first saw the bronze beak, I was like, are these like robotic things? I That's what I sure. thought too. I thought it was going to be a Hephaestus thing. And so, yeah. And so I had to Google it. I know uh, Moya will probably get into this more with you. Sure, but, sure. Um, no, they just have bronze beaks. Okay. But also their poop is poisonous. Oh. And I thought that would be good to know. Good to know. I <laughs> hope it doesn't stain clothes because that could be a problem as well. Oh, yeah. Just insult to injury with that. Truly, truly. So Tantalus, in classic fashion, just ignores this mess and congratulates Clarice on the win. He then turns and smiles to Percy and says, and now to punish the troublemakers who disrupted this race. And that is the end of chapter six. And Tantalus is just truly villainous and the worst. Not a fan of him. I'm not a Fantalus of Tantalus is what I'm trying to say. A Fantalus of Tantalus. I'm not. <laughs> So we can get now into chapter seven, which is called I Receive Gifts from a Stranger. Immediately, I wrote in my notes, what have we taught you about gifts, Percy? You can't trust them. <laughs> but you still take them. You, I guess you still take them. You just have to be wary. So as I always do now with these chapters, I'm going to guess what it is. And in my notes here, I was guessing that it's going to be gifts for the quest. I'm guessing at this point it would either be from a god or some sort of Greek type being like when a Nereid came through and gave him the pearls. That is what I'm predicting, and we'll just see how correct I am as we finish up the chapter, probably in the next episode, because chapter 7 is very long (laughs) and filled with lots of stuff. But we can get into it. The opening quote, The way Tantalus saw it, the Stymphalian birds had simply been minding their own business in the woods and would not have attacked if Annabeth, Tyson, and I hadn't disturbed them with our bad chariot driving. So... Yeah, that definitely makes lots of sense. Thanks, Tantalus. I know you're not a Fantalus of the Tantalus, as no. you said, but I find him so funny oh. with how ridiculous yeah. he is. I appreciate how frustrating he is. Yes. I. You can still not like someone like I did not like Dolores Umbridge at all. Dolores Umbridge is an incredible villain. Oh, yeah. And Tantalus is not necessarily as evil. He's just so clearly 
bad and wrong all of the time. Yeah. It's like, but I, how flippant he is with mm-hmm. the seriousness of what's going on, I find really hilarious. Yes. In a way that, like, Umbridge, there's something very devious about her, but yeah. with Tantalus, it's almost comical. He's very out in the open, exactly what he's trying to do. And he just sees things with whatever vision, whatever kind of filter he wants. And he's always changing things and interpreting them to fit his narrative and exactly what he's trying to do. <laughs> yeah. I want these three to be in trouble because I don't like them. So I'm saying that they're bad chariot driving disturbed the birds. <laughs> I might be able to relate to that considering how bad I am at driving chariots. Have you ever driven a chariot before? You no, I'm just extrapolating like cars. <laughs> just nix this. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's fine. Keep it in. Yeah. <laughs> Narrator Percy says that this was so completely unfair. I told Tantalus to go chase a donut, which didn't help his mood. Such a good dig. A plus. What a dig. Absolutely fantastic. He sentences them to Kitchen Patrol, which of course we all know is KP, and narrator Percy reveals that the harpies wash with lava instead of water in order to get that extra clean sparkle and kill 99.9% of all germs. Which, first off, wild to think of washing things with lava. But second, the 99.9% thing is very 2006 because I distinctly remember being in eighth grade slash high school and that becoming a thing that Lysol and Clorox used in their branding and thinking it was very funny that they were saying 99.9 and not 100%. And also, if Jerry Seinfeld was still doing stand-up when this was going about, this would have been an entire set. He would have had an entire thing like, you see these cleaning products? products that promote the 99.9% of germs. What's that 0.1%? I mean, come on, what's the deal? Like that would have been an entire run of jokes for him. I know. And then it's like the doctor, the doctor, you don't want to know, man. (laughs) It's not good. So to get around using lava as soap and water, Percy and Annabeth have to wear asbestos gloves and aprons. And I don't know much about asbestos, but this feels like not the safest thing to use. The gloves are not made of asbestos. I think that's the important thing (laughs) to understand. Disclaimer, but I had to Google this. I do not know this. (laughs) (laughs) Resident asbestos expert, Stephen Barra. Yes, exactly. But no, I was just like, what are asbestos gloves? Because I'm sitting there thinking at first, oh, it's just comical whimsy about magic. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, oh, no, asbestos gloves, it's just like a shorthand for like thermal resistant gloves and the way they weave them together and they're made uh-huh. is supposed to be able to withstand really high temperatures, like up to, I think, 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. OK. And then me being uh inquisitive person I was. I tabbed over, I was like, well, how hot is lava? Mm-hmm. And apparently, on average, about 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay, so, okay, there you go. There was actually just some science reasoning behind this instead of just whimsical, magical, we're cleaning things with lava. Okay, now, did asbestos gloves used to have asbestos in them, and now it's just the generally accepted term for heat-resistant gloves? That's a good question. I don't know. Send your answers to at Brandon Grugel on Twitter, and then uh, we'll be able to learn. So Tyson is completely fine, given his Cyclops nature. He doesn't need to do any of these precautions. Percy is even more upset than normal, because there are extra dishes for them to clean, because Tantalus threw Clarice a congratulatory feast with... Country Fried Stymphalian Death Bird, which is a very much good version of Uncle Rick, your Texas is showing. Mm. And I do find it funny, though, that he did go with country fried, which does mean the same thing as chicken fried. But country fried is usually the way that will be described to not confuse people because you can have chicken fried steak, which is absolutely fantastic. And then you can also have chicken fried chicken and people get very confused with what does it mean if you have chicken fried steak and what does it mean if you have chicken fried chicken? Isn't that just fried chicken? And then you just say, no, it's where you tenderize and flatten it and bread it. It's very good. I highly recommend it. And I definitely knew what chicken fried meant. And I was not a New Jersey boy that inquisitively asked his friends, what the heck? How does one have a chicken fried steak? But he went with country fried so that, you know, people wouldn't be wondering what the heck he's talking about. Yeah. And it's something I've noticed whenever Rick tries to just write like oh what's good food that's definitely where the texan comes out because i noticed nothing seemed unusual to me until i left texas for a while (laughs) and then i was like oh yeah like when i say barbecue i'm thinking like brisket and short ribs but other places when they say barbecue they're thinking of hot dogs and hamburgers and like that's fair. That's good. Rick always brings up barbecue, and then it just happens again. It's like, country fried Stymphalian bird. Exactly. 
And on that delicious note, we will take a natural break here for the Sea of Sponsors, Ooh. our mid-roll break for book two. <laughs> Maybe we're sponsored by a company that makes chicken fried steak. Who's to say? What? I mean, I would love that. Please sponsor yes, me. Actually, I yes. would love free chicken fried steak. We're not being flippant here. Get at me, Omaha chicken fried steaks. Let's go. Let's get the partnership going. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Sea of Sponsors. If you're listening to this in April 2022, I just wanted to let you know that I am currently in India traveling. One of my buddies is getting married over here. It's going to be fantastic. There's lots of events. Kelly and I are doing some sightseeing. If anything happens with posting being a little bit delayed or time zone confusion or whatever, that's the reason for that. So I'm going to do my best. There's lots of traveling to do, but I'm going to work my hardest to make sure that all the episodes come out, at least on Mondays. It might not be exactly the same time, like I usually get it at midnight Eastern, but I'm going to still get the episodes out, but if things are a little weird and delayed, it's because I am quite busy. But these travels aren't all in India. I will be back in the United States on April 21st for a Potterless live show with very special guests Brandon Grugel and Lauren Shippen. It's going to be a blast, so if you live near there and you want to go see us be nerdy about Harry Potter and very silly while we do so live, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com slash live. I'm also going to then be in Seattle for two weeks doing a bunch of improv shows, and if you want to learn more about that, it's an improvised hip-hop troupe that I used to do a lot of shows with. You can go to bit.ly slash tribe S-C-H-U-B-E-S-T-R-I-B-E, all lowercase, bit.ly and then Shoob's Tribe. It's a tribe called Yes, a very fun improv team that I was with for a while and we're doing another run of shows. You can watch a performance of it on YouTube as well if you just search for a tribe called Yes Opening Night. It is uploaded by a guy by the name of Steve Lang. He is the director and he put the show together. I'm very biased, but it's very good. So if you live in Seattle, you can see it. And if you have YouTube, you can watch the opening night performance. I would also like to take the time to thank the people who are supporting the show via Patreon. If you go to thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon, you can support the show and you get access to a whole bunch of fun bonus content that can be physical merch such as stickers and pins and holographic stickers that we are in the process of mailing out. Obviously, that's a delay. Another note here, if you're an Ultra God patron, I will be sending your stuff when I'm back from all of these travels in May. <laughs> But in addition to the physical merch, you can also get digital things, bonus episodes, director's commentary, monthly live streams, a whole bunch of fun stuff. And all that lives at thenewestolympian.com slash Patreon. And I want to thank the newest members of our team. So shout out to our newest Ultra God tier patrons, Marina Foose and Erin Wood. Shout out to our newest Super God tier patron, Kendra Holstrom. Shout out to our newest God tier patrons, Nadia KP, Leoski00, and the Jeff of Hearts. And shout out to our newest Demigod tier patrons, Rex, the Damn Snack Bar, Tuku Lipsonen, Finn Firkin, Gay Walter, Chef Tom, and Atlas Reed. And finally, a name correction for Jesenia Augusto and MSAP Wiz. Thank you all for your support. May Zeus bless all of your air travel with no delays and no planes that don't have in-seat power and USB charging and all that good stuff. Also, I want to thank Multitude for having us as a part of the collective. There's lots of very fun Multitude shows. I help make a bunch of them. But if you want to be involved in the Multitude community, you can join the Multitude Discord for free. If you don't know what Discord is, it is a digital hub for an online community. If you've ever used Slack or Microsoft Teams, it's like that. But instead of for work, it's for fun and the Multitude Discord is free and open to the public. If you go to multitude.productions slash community, you can check it out and you can say hi to other Multitude listeners. You can talk about any of the shows. There's channels to talk about things that you cook or creative projects you're working on or share pictures of your pets. And it's all for free and you can get access to it at multitude.productions slash community. And finally, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So, if you live in India, don't be surprised if you hear an Indian ad. And once those ads are complete, we will get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. And we're 
we're back. And unfortunately, we have not eaten chicken fried steak. Please sponsor me. So narrator Percy says that the only good thing about being punished with Kitchen Patrol is that it gives Annabeth and him a common enemy that they can be mad at together. And especially because I am now more invested in Percy Beth being a thing, the two of them actually getting together as opposed to more of the fence sitting I was doing. This is the Mm -hmm. best way to flirt. One of the greatest ways to flirt with someone when you don't have a lot to talk about is having a shared person that you hate or a shared thing that you hate or shared entity that you hate and being able to complain about that with someone is a very effective love language. I can believe that. I don't think I've ever quite bonded in that way, but it it makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't have to be as mean as complaining about a person, but it could just be if you're trying to hit it off with a person in one of your classes, you could complain about how hard the homework is. Oh, if yes. If you are trying to talk with someone who works at the same job as you or whatever, you could complain about the job or whatever. Like, it's very easy to share bonding with someone is combining commiseration exactly misery loves company so why not just Uh, rag on something together so yes i would say do it more towards things and not people but you do you hey it's all's fair in love and war right flirting's part of love so yeah do what you gotta do commiseration flirtation situation ah Ah, very nice (laughs) okay so after discussing the grover dream again annabeth is more on board now when percy asks what the it is the following exchange happens annabeth says quote i'll give you a hint what do you get when you skin a ram and percy says messy and (laughs) annabeth sighs and then goes a fleece and if that ram has golden wool percy then says the golden fleece are you serious and then i said yeah i totally know what the golden fleece with a capital g and a capital f is yep Mm -hmm." thankfully they explain very (laughs) quickly so we don't have to ask dr moya but we still will yeah she's lovely it's wonderful you should i would love to learn more yeah so annabeth recounts that the gray sisters know the location of quote the thing you seek and they mentioned Jason who 3,000 years ago they told him how to get the fleece she then asks if Percy knows the story of Jason and the Argonauts and Percy says yeah that old movie with the clay skeletons an incredible reference I've never seen it and you showed me the clip that he's referring to Mm -hmm. And we'll put a link to it in the episode description of this podcast, but it's actually, for the time, whenever that movie came out, 60s, 70s, whatever, incredibly good effects. Like, it does not look as ridiculous as I thought. You know, it's practical claymation, so it looks kind of silly, but it actually, like, fits really well, and I can only imagine being a young person when that came out. I would have been genuinely terrified watching that film. yeah. And it's kind of interesting in one of those things where like the limitations of the art form can also sort of bring about new things because it's like you might expect skeletons to be a little lurchy and slow because they don't have any muscles. Yeah, like, no tendons and ligaments. Yeah, it's just, right? just kind of uh, going. <laughs> so it kind of worked really well. I think the part of that scene that aged the most poorly was just how slow all of the action was and not even just the CGI, but just they would show 12 reaction shots. So just, yeah. <laughs> movies were very slow paced back in the day. Yeah. I'd be like, Percy, the birds. Beep. <gasps> 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 oh no, they're attacking the stands. Riptide, go. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Annabeth then rolls her eyes and describes the tale. And I was very thankful that this is what happened. But this is also just a very clever writing device by Uncle Rick. Percy knowing a little bit but not enough and Annabeth knowing all of the stuff <laughs> is just a great excuse for him to explain to the reader what's going on. So Annabeth says, quote, there were these two children of Zeus, Cadmus and Europa, okay? They were about to get offered up as human sacrifices when they prayed to Zeus to save them. So Zeus sent them this magical flying ram with golden wool, which picked them up in Greece and carried them all the way to Colchis in Asia Minor. Well, actually, it carried Cadmus. Europa fell off and died along the way, but that's not important. And Percy snarky person that he is, interjects and says, it was probably important to her. (laughs) Amazing. Yes. Well done. Annabeth continues. The point in italics is (laughs) when Cadmus got to Colchis, he sacrificed the golden ram to the gods and hung the fleece in a tree in the middle of the kingdom. The fleece brought prosperity to the land. Animals stopped getting sick. Plants grew better. Farmers had bumper crops. Is that a copy paste thing that it autocorrect? Bumper crops? I'm not sure. Hmm. Let's learn. All right. Google bumper crops. 
A bumper crop is an unusually abundant harvest from a particular crop. The term is now most commonly used in a figurative way to refer to a large amount or influx of something that's often linked to a harvest. For example, we have a bumper crop of candidates for the position. Okay, ah. well, you learn something new every day. I grew up in the middle of New Jersey, and I live in New York City. I am not <laughs> from a place that grows crops. <laughs> so there you go. All right. Farmers had bumper crops, which we all know. Yeah. And plagues never visited. That's why Jason wanted the fleece. It can revitalize any land where it's placed. It cures sickness, strengthens nature, cleans up pollution. So seems like a pretty cool fleece. Would love that. Even though I'm not a big fleece quarter zip kind of guy, I would wear it. <laughs> yeah, seems like a worthwhile decision. Yeah, it's definitely just a golden Patagonia fleece quarter zip. Yeah, That's what yeah, I imagine. So they believe that it could cure Thalia's tree and strengthen the borders. But Annabeth says that the problem is that the fleece has been missing for centuries and loads of other heroes have searched for it, but they have failed to find it. Percy points out that it would make sense that Grover did find it, though, since it radiates nature magic just like Pan does. So feels like could make sense. But Annabeth cautions, this might make too much sense. It might be too perfect. What if it's a trap? And Percy then goes, oh, right, I did get trapped by Kronos and Ares in the first book. Hmm. But then he kind of asks Annabeth, well, Grover's in trouble, so we kind of have to investigate this anyway. I don't really think we have another choice here. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tyson is making boats out of cups and spoons in the lava, which is absolutely adorable, and I fully support this. Annabeth then whispers that they're going to have to fight Polyphemus, who is the worst of all the Cyclops, and that they're going to have to go to his island, which is in the Sea of Monsters. And Percy asks, where is that? And Annabeth says, you don't know the Sea of Monsters? The sea that Odysseus, Jason, Aeneas, and all the others sailed? And Percy goes, yeah, do you just mean the Mediterranean? And she goes, <laughs> no. Well, yes, but no. And then Percy <laughs> says, another straight answer. Thanks. <laughs> I imagine he gave a big old thumbs up here. And I very much felt kinship to Percy here because Kelly's favorite answer to give me anytime I ask her any sort of question is mm -hmm. yes and no, which is nothing. It's <laughs> absolutely nothing. I know what she means where it's basically saying kind of or parts, but she gives me yes and no as an answer very often to the point where I always make fun of her for it when she says <laughs> it. So for people trying to think that Annabeth is similar to Kelly, architect, witty, and then me and Percy sassy beyond belief the comparison yeah. makes sense yeah it seems fair to me the fun thing that we learn here is that the sea of monsters is just like mount olympus where it shifts wherever western civilization goes and now it is northeast of florida and what we learn is not only is it northeast of florida but the Sea of Monsters is the Bermuda Triangle, which is the best thing ever. That is so good. Yeah, that moment when I was first reading this book way back in high school, I remember just getting to that point and it's like, you know, I'd fallen in love with them by the end of The Lightning Thief and then I just get right into Sea of Monsters and I was just blown away. I love it. Oh, it was so so good. I read it this morning and audibly laughed out loud and just put my hands on my head because it's so good. Yeah. It is so clever. It's so fantastic. And I'm very excited for us to meet Amelia Earhart in chapter 17 because clearly she's uh, who who flies. Who's a flying god? Hermes? Maybe Athena? I don't know. She could be someone. I hope we get to meet Amelia Earhart when we're in the Sea of Monsters. <laughs> Percy, at first, is surprised by this, but then goes, eh, this isn't stranger than anything else I've learned at Camp Half-Blood, yeah. so yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Annabeth warns that it'll still be hard to find the island, but Percy reminds her that I am literally the son of the sea god, <laughs> so I have a bit of a home court advantage here. I think we'll be okay. Narrator Percy says that Annabeth knit her eyebrows and says, we'll have to talk to Tantalus, get approval for a quest. He'll say no. My question here, is that a phrase, knit her eyebrows? Well, have you it, ever heard this before? No. Okay. I'm just going to Google if that is another way to say furrowing. furrowing? I'm going to say knit your eyebrows. I've never heard of this. Knit one's eyebrows to move the eyebrows together in a way that shows that one is thinking about something or is worried, angry, etc. She knit her brow and asked what I was doing. 
Okay. Well, all right. It's a thing. I was first imagining her pulling her eyebrow lashes out and then knitting them together into a cute, very tiny scarf or something. But yeah, okay. Knit your eyebrows. Yeah, We're all learning okay. things like, today. Bumper abs- crops, knit eyebrows. <laughs> stalactites, stalagmites. Uh, book, yep. Mm-hmm. Learning We're so many things. Voca- I guess every time I come on, it's a nice vocabulary lesson for everybody. There we go. Anyway, Percy then says that he could pressure Tantalus into saying yes if they ask him in front of everyone else at the campfire, which is pretty Ooh. nice. He's putting him on blast. He is using the power of awkwardness to his advantage here. <laughs> you love to see this being used and utilized in a good way. Annabeth then starts to get a little hopeful. She asks Percy to pass the lava spray gun, which is just great. And that's the end of that scene. Perfect. So that night at the campfire, campers are singing two songs that are led by the Apollo cabin. They sing Down by the Aegean. They sing This Land is Minos's Land. And then they also sing I Am My Own Great 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 Grandpa. And at first for the other two songs, I got it, you know, Down by the Aegean, Down by the Sea. This land is Minos's land. This land is my land. I had never heard of whatever this was a reference to. So I just Googled, I am my own great, 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 great grandpa. And then I was shown the light of Ray Stevens' song, I am my own grandpa, which we will also link in the episode description of this episode. It's a very, very funny song. Yes, it is. Where it's just him playing around with the strange intricacies of a family tree and makes this whole convoluted premise that involves zero incest, but ends up in a situation where he is his own grandpa and his son is his uncle and all of this weird stuff. And it's truly creative and hilarious. Yeah, It was really funny to listen to today. It is a classic. And it's also taking that and making it the next level in a perfect Greek joke to add in all the Greek or greats because <laughs> yes. Greek family trees are certainly messy, but usually more messy because of all the incest. Yes. It's just a really funny joke that Rick, I'm sure, wrote knowing that not many people would get it, but maybe some parents reading would. But it's one of those jokes you just write in and you go, I don't care if no one gets this joke. This is for me. And it's very funny. Yes. And it's, it is very good. Narrator Percy says that the fire grows in height with how loud the singing is, and it changes in color based on the mood. He'd seen it get up to 20 feet high and be bright purple, maybe even a violently purple color. But this night, though, it is only five feet high, and it's the color of lint, which is (laughs) what a choice, because it's not really one color, but everyone can envision just the grayish, bluish, and just, ugh. It's somehow the most gross absence of color. It's more of an absence of color than black or brown or anything else. It's just a perfect description that I've never thought of before. Yeah, it was so creative. Such a good tone setter. Loved Loved it. it. Love it so much. So after the songs, Tantalus is about to give some announcements, but Percy pipes up. Tantalus tries to make fun of Percy by calling him Kitchen Boy, a really good insult. The Aries cabin then snickers. Percy is unfazed, and he just continues. He, as the narrator, reader says, I wasn't going to let anyone embarrass me into silence, which is a life mantra that I could live by. Oh, yeah. That, like, put that on a target throw pillow instead of live, laugh, love. Yes. That's way better. I won't let anyone embarrass me into silence. That's really good. Truly powerful, especially someone like me who I consider myself to be a very outgoing type person, Mm -hmm. and I'm definitely a people person, but when Kelly and I are out traveling and there are awkward situations, I am so much worse about speaking up for an awkward type thing. Kelly's so much better about it. It also helps that she is five foot one and very adorable. (laughs) So whenever we need to ask for things, especially for traveling and we don't want to come across as rude American tourists, things are nicer when she asks. Or for at the airport, you know, she's Mm -hmm. just nicer about it. Also, my face is far too expressive. So when I'm actually mad about something and I'm trying to hide it, I do not do a good job. So if I'm asking about airport delays or whatever, it's not going to be as good as tiny little Kelly going, hey, is it possible if we could move our seats? And the amount of times that Kelly has snuck our way into seats on airplanes that you're supposed to pay for, whether that is the preferred seats, which are just Mm -hmm. now regular seats closer to the front, (laughs) airplane companies find a way to get worse and remove our liberties with each passing year. 
sometimes we've gotten into like economy plus or exit rows or whatever, Ooh. just because she asks very sweetly and says things like, oh, our seats aren't together and we're married. Can we move? And that's exactly how she asks it. And it works out really well. That's great. But I need to sometimes remember to not let someone embarrass me into silence. And there are times where you need to speak up. So I'm going to try to use this as a mantra going forward. Percy stands up, literally. Annabeth follows. And then he announces that he has an idea to save the camp. Everyone is silent. And then the fire turns yellow, which we all know is the color of curiosity. Yeah. Uh, I learned that in med school, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So Tantalus tries to make some snide remark about it being a bad idea if it involves Percy on a chariot, which is, again, not an insult at all. Well, you know, he spent thousands of years by himself in the underworld. <laughs> Maybe he's still uh, brushing off the insult book. He's just classically one of those bullies that doesn't say any sort of creative insult, but just says it in a tone that mm -hmm. hopes everyone will laugh at it because he's trying to make fun of you, but it doesn't work. Percy Percy just doesn't even let him finish this jab and blurts out that they know where the golden fleece is and the flames are now orange, which we all know is the color of, oh wait, really? I do like that the flame is just a mood ring, which yeah. is very <laughs> fun. Percy explains the entire Grover dream before Tantalus can get a word in, and Annabeth explains the fleece and its powers. And I very much love Uncle Rick's ability to, rather than include all of this to get his word count up or whatever, yeah. just says, we said this, she said this, you know, that thing you read two pages ago, we're good. <laughs> and then he does a very clever thing here where he just says what the final sentence that Annabeth mm -hmm. said was, and her final line is, the fleece can save the camp. And then Tantalus replies and says, the camp doesn't need saving. And then everyone stares at him as if to say, uh, uh hello, McFly? Anyone in there, McFly? McFly hello? <laughs> like, hello? There's clearly <laughs> many things wrong with the camp. Yeah. Tantalus counters by saying that they don't know where to look, but Percy says that he does because he remembers the numbers from the Grey Sisters, 30, 31, 75, 12. And then he starts to explain what my initial guess was. He starts to say that they are latitude and longitude coordinates. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to the News Olympian, you know that in a very recent episode, I took those numbers from the Gray Sisters, and after making a very cool lost joke, I tried to search for what that latitude and longitude would be. The problem was, again, my poor reading comprehension has come back to bite me, I did not write down in my notes 30, 31, 75, 12. I wrote 40. 31, 75, 12, which is not the same. And that's why instead of being a dot in the middle of the ocean near the Bermuda Triangle, northeast off of the coast of Florida, I went to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is 10 degrees latitude north of this point. So I was so close to being right for something that frankly wasn't like a really hard thing to guess. <laughs> I'm not a super genius, but classic me for fumbling the bag. Hey, well, uh, on the bright side, Mike, at least your embarrassment didn't force you into silence on this issue. <laughs> hey, there you go. And at least I didn't say it on a podcast that gets hundreds of thousands of downloads <laughs> a month and will live forever. <laughs> and people just get to make fun of me until the end of time. Here we go. Cool. So yeah, everyone, let's do a live show in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Next TNO meetup, we'll do exactly at 40.31, Uh, We'll find the nearest park and do a big meetup. Sounds good. <laughs> oh, poop. <laughs> <laughs> poop. So it's off the coast of Florida. Annabeth confirms and is very impressed. And she says this whole thing of, yes, this is true, confirm. And she ends it by saying, we need a quest. And then all of the campers in teenage fashion join in we chanting. We need a quest. We need a quest. We need a quest. And the flames rise higher and higher. Tantalus then gives in. And once he gave in, I wrote in my notes, oh no, he's going to pick Clarice, and uh, lo and behold, he does. So he picks Clarice. The fire flickers many colors when he picks Clarice, you know, to represent the mixed emotions of how everyone oh. is feeling. So the Ares cabin then begins to chant Clarice's name. Clarice stands up and accepts. Percy butts in saying, wait, Grover's my friend, and the dream came to me, so shouldn't I be the one to go? And... 
Aries cabin people speak up, and I gotta say, their gripes are completely legitimate. Oh, yeah. Aries cabin mate number one says, sit down, you had your chance last summer. And number two says, yeah, he just wants to be in the spotlight again. And that's incredibly valid. Oh, yeah. I don't blame them for this, especially given that they're teenagers. It's like, yeah, it's like, what do you think this is, Harry Potter? <laughs> like, do you think you're the main character of everyone else's story? Let someone else have some glory. Ooh, that rhymed. Ooh, uh, look at me go. I just think he smells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone else just goes, I don't like Percy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the most teenage one. Oh, that was good. At this point, you know, if they are going to eventually make a Sea of Monsters Disney Plus show and you need bit casting, if I could get cast... Just as even the voice, you don't even have to film me, but Aries cabin guy that just yells at Percy, put you can sign me up. I will gladly accept this role. <laughs> so Clarice then glares at Percy and accepts, does the formal acceptance mm -hmm. of the quest, which I think is great. I am liking Clarice more and more. I really hope she has a redemption arc to become his friend in the end, because it would be really cool. Yeah, you know, I think Clarice has shown a lot of growth in this yeah, book, you know, yes. having <laughs> having maybe more constructive outlets for her anger and aggression. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes. To work through it. She doesn't have to be a bully. She can use that aggression and channel it towards defending the camp, which is really nice and healthy and cathartic for her. So Annabeth begins to protest, and the Athena cabin mates support her. People start taking sides, and then they start throwing marshmallows at each other. <laughs> and the narrator Percy says that he thought a full-on s'more war was about to ensue, but then Tantalus orders everyone to sit down for a ghost story. And uh, strap in, everyone. <laughs> for the folks at home, Stephen is strapped in. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a mortal king who was beloved of the gods, and narrator Percy says, Tantalus put his hand on his chest and I got the feeling he was talking about himself. This king was even allowed to feast on Mount Olympus, but when he tried to take some ambrosia and nectar back to Earth to figure out the recipe, just one little doggy bag, mind you, the gods punished him. They banned him from their halls forever. His own people mocked him. His children scolded him. And oh yes, campers, he had horrible children. And once he said that, I remembered what I was told in an earlier episode of the News Olympian by a guest saying that, oh, by the way, Tantalus ate his kids. I believe Yes. The folks from Seaweed Brain let me know that that's what happened. So, uh, yep, we're getting that confirmation. While I was reading it, I was wondering, I wonder if Uncle Rick is going to twist this or if he's going to make this as gruesome as it appears to be. And he really goes with the gruesome route. It doesn't really pull any punches here. Children just like you. But it was children, M-dash, just M-dash, like M-dash, <laughs> you. So dramatic pauses. Do you know what he did to his ungrateful children? Do you know how he paid back the gods for their cruel punishment? He invited the Olympians to a feast at his palace just to show there were no hard feelings. No one noticed that his children were missing. And when he served the gods dinner, my dear campers, can you guess what was in the stew? And nobody answers because they pretty much know what's going on. The light in the fire now grows dark blue which reflects evilly on Tantalus's crooked face, and he continues. Oh, the gods punished him in the afterlife. They did indeed, but he'd had his moment of satisfaction, hadn't he? His children never again spoke back to him or questioned his authority. Uh, yeah, because they're dead. And do you know what? Rumor has it that the king's spirit now dwells at this very camp, waiting for a chance to take revenge on ungrateful, rebellious children. And so, are there any more complaints before you send Clarice off on her quest? And then just silence. Which, I mean, that's pretty terrifying. Oh, and yeah. Didn't really kid it up. Pretty much gave the full story and made it quite scary. For sure. You know, and I think uh, in a lot of ways, sometimes kids can uh, latch on to that. As long as it's not gory, oftentimes kids can resonate with stories that are scary or intense in that way. Yeah. So in some ways, it kind of made sense that Rick was just like, you know what? I want people to take Tantalus seriously. Let's mm -hmm. just let's just show them. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty gross, but also there's plenty of stories that involve gruesome eating, Hansel and Gretel, yeah, I was just and gonna Little say Red that, Riding Hood, yeah. like yeah. this kind of stuff is. I'm gonna eat you. <laughs> exactly. So Tantalus orders Clarice to go see the Oracle, and even Clarice was spooked by the story and was kind of hesitant. And he orders her to go. He warns that no one else can leave the camp without his permission. And at this point, I wrote, okay, so Percy and Annabeth are for sure going to sneak out. <laughs> and he also says that anyone that does, even if they come back alive, will be expelled for life. And he also says that he's going to 
enforce a strict curfew where people can't leave their cabins after dark, and the harpies are going to be the ones enforcing them, and they are always hungry, and basically they're going to eat anybody that sneaks out. So, uh, yikes on yikes. Tantalus then waves his hand, extinguishes the fire, and tells everyone to go to bed. And then we cut to being back at cabin three. Tyson asks Percy if... Percy's going to go anyway. Percy says maybe, but it would be hard. It would be very hard. Tyson says that he will help. Percy says, I couldn't ask you to do that. Tyson then looks sadly down at something that he's crafting. And I'm sure this will become very important because we don't learn what it is. Percy Mm. asks what it is, but Tyson doesn't answer. He's very sad. He says, Annabeth doesn't like Cyclops and you don't want me along. And Percy says, no, that's not it. And he tries to reassure him that Annabeth does like him, but Tyson isn't buying it. And it does make Percy wonder, can Tyson as a Cyclops sense emotions? Or maybe Percy just has a terrible poker face. Yeah, I mean, you know, Tyson's not unaware of what's going on. Right. You don't need superpowers to know if someone doesn't like you or is treating you really poorly. Yeah, that's true. It's like, come on, Annabeth. Maybe I get where Percy's coming from, right? Because, you know, he's been through a lot with Annabeth. He really cares about her. Yeah. And he wants to see the best in her. But she is being really mean to Tyson. Right. And just because Tyson isn't the best at communication or understanding what's going on with all the Greek stuff because it's all new to him... He still is a full-fledged person that can understand when people are being rude to him. I guess earlier, Prissy did say he wasn't aware when people are making fun of him. So maybe he's not the most aware. But still, with Annabeth, it's much more direct contact. And just like Mm -hmm. you said, sensing when someone doesn't like you is usually pretty easy to do. So Percy is unable to reassure him of this. Tyson begins to tear up, which, of course, just absolutely crushes me. Because Tyson, my sweet boy. I know. Tyson folds up the little project that he's working on and turns in his bed so that his back is facing Percy and he's kind of facing the wall. Percy then sees the scars along his back and wonders what happened to Tyson. I'm sure we will learn in like 10 chapters. Tyson then sniffles and says, Daddy always cared for me. Now I think he was mean to have a Cyclops boy. I should not have been born. And then Percy immediately says, do not speak like this. And he reminds Tyson that by claiming Tyson, Poseidon has proven that he does care for him, which is really nice. I'm glad Percy's doing this. Mm -hmm. And he tries to tell Tyson that Camp Half-Blood is a good home for him. But Tyson does the classic thing where he falls asleep (laughs) mid-Percy sentence. Percy tries to sleep as well, but he's just too worried about Grover. And then also the whole empathy link thing of... If Grover's in trouble, am I in trouble? I can't go to sleep right now. And he thinks to himself, could Clarice save Half-Blood Hill? I thought the odds were better of me getting a Best Camper Award from Tantalus. (laughs) And I think that that is the perfect place to end this episode. We will be finishing up Chapter 7 in the next episode with Stephen as the return guest. But Stephen, how do you feel about this little chapter before we wrap up here? Oh, the chapter's been great. I mean, you pulled me in for some really awesome parts of the book. We're going to about to get into some even more my favorite part of the book, honestly. I'm really excited to be able to do this with yes. you. But we've seen some really cool stuff. We've seen some interesting seeds getting planted. And I'm excited to listen to you <laughs> finish up this journey. It's going to be a great time. I'm very excited. And for you and I, we will just stop recording and then hit record again. Folks at home, unfortunately, are going to have to wait a week. In the meantime, if people want to find you doing stuff, where can they find you? Uh, yeah, you know, you can see me pop up on a few other podcasts. You know, check out Meddling Adults. I guessed on that with Mike a few seasons ago at this point, but it's <laughs> a lot of fun. And then also there's another podcast I hop on from time to time. It's called Render Me This. It's basically just looking at cartoons from our, our childhood and figure out if we'd want to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they just launched a Patreon. So go oh, show cool. them some love if you like it. Yeah. yeah, fun stuff. Well, Stephen, thank you for joining. Listeners, thank you for listening. And until we see what Percy is going to do inevitably to sneak out of Camp Half-Blood. I'll pursue you later. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this episode of The News Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schuber. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Kambamanas and Brandon Grugel. And the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you are all caught up in the show and you want some more, you can get some more by going to thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon. You will get access to loads of bonus episodes, bonus audio, all the old Potterless stuff, whole bunch of fun things at thenewstolympian.com slash Patreon. And speaking of that Patreon, I want to give a huge shout out to our producer level patrons Lada Bartova, Kelsey Gillespie, The Damn Steam Nuggets, Emma Kui, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Tough Bay Fong, Moo Moo Productions, Don't Call Me Nymphadora, Olivia Y, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Minka Dreesen, Can't I Seaweed Brain, Matt Barger, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Getting Stoned with Smelly Gabe, Heather McMillan, Casey Canales, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Bridget Lowry, Josh Sayer, Percy Blue, Josh Wilkie, 
Abby Ryan, Shannon Yuvanez Aguilar, Wise Girl, Alpaca Zer Hope, Milo TZ, Roxas1912, Rafaela, Ashton Gabrielson, Cara Marin, Colby, Marco Redhouse, Falcon, Joey James, Christopher William Boucher, Justin Lux, Caden Max, Sam Sam Ruby, Carly Allen, Riley Kides, Mary Kelly, Audra McKenzie, Mrs. O'Leary, Marina Foose, and Erin Wood. If you want to follow the show on social media, we are at Newest Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we're also at reddit.com slash r slash the newest Olympian. If you want to help out the show in a non-monetary way, spreading it by word of mouth is awesome, and I really appreciate it. You can post about it on social media. You can leave a rating and review on whatever podcast app you're using. You can reach out to someone that you know that you think would like the show, whether it's an email, a text message, whatever, and just say, hey, there's this really cool podcast hosted by this really cool, humble guy, and I think you would enjoy it. If you do that, I would really appreciate it, but I'm just so thankful that you listened to this episode, and I hope you tune into our next episode, which also stars Stephen Parra as we finish the rest of Chapter 7 of The Sea of Monsters, but until then, I'll proceed you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. As mentioned in the mid-roll, I've got a big trip coming up and I'm very excited about it. Hopefully I can get some of those nice nature sounds in the background for future ASMR mics. I will do my darndest, but there's a lot going on. I've got a lot of big long flights to take. I've got some short in-between flights to take. We've got some taxi rides lined up, some speedboat rides for later on after India, but it's gonna be a very fun time. I'm incredibly excited to eat all of the different Indian food because I am a big Indian food fan. It's food that I didn't eat a lot of until I went to college, but at my college, there was a really solid dance group at Rice called Chowal Bhangra, and they did performances, and they did this whole Indian culture night where they would do various performances and bring in all this authentic cuisine, and it was absolutely delicious, and I'm very excited to go to India and have Indian food from India. I am going to eat myself silly and I'm very excited. I will try to report back on what was the best, but I know for sure that Pani Puri is a street food that I absolutely love and I've obviously never had it in India, so I'm really excited to see how it pans out. But yeah, I'll, I'll try to update you guys with what sounds from it and food recaps. But until then, I've been ASMR Mike and this has been a minute, so I'm gonna go. Thanks for listening.